Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. We hope that this message will challenge you and encourage you on your journey of faith. If you would like to learn more about Journey Church, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and online at thejourneychurch.cc. Now enjoy the message. How are you guys doing online? If you're online, let me see some thumbs up, some hearts, some likes, comment. Let me know how you're doing. Man, we are going into week two of our In God We Trust message series. I don't know about you, but I don't think there's a more timely message, right, following the uh, Jesus Over Politics message that we just came out of, right? I don't think there's a more timely message right now than a message on what does it look like to completely trust God? Come on, church. Would you agree? What does it look like to completely trust God? And I love this. Last week, my beautiful bride, Pastor Kim, she kicked off. Hold on one second. Man, she kicked off this message series. She preached some good stuff. There were so many one-liners and quotes that I got from that. I stored for later so I can steal and reuse them at another time and make them look like they're mine. But they were so good. They were so good. Uh, she kicked off this new message series, In God We Trust, and she talked about the importance of obedience. How many of you guys just love the word obedience? Yeah, not many people, right? Not many people. She talked about obedience, but something that is really important that we need to understand is that in order to trust God, it starts always, trusting God always starts with obedience. Would you agree, church? Trusting God always starts with obedience. I'm a details guy. Anybody else a details guy? A details woman? There we go. Okay. So I'm a details type of person. When it comes down to doing most tasks, I want to know the why behind it, right? I want to know the who behind it, the what behind it, the how behind it. I want all the details. If you're going to tell us we're going to work on a project, I want to know everything about the project before we start. Anybody else kind of feel that way? A lot of us do, right? But Pastor Kim helped us see something so important last week, right? So important. And it's this, that you don't have to understand completely to obey immediately. You don't have to have it all figured out before you trust God in the next step or in the first step. If I was Moses and I was standing talking to the bush, I know what the type of person I am. When God says, when God would have said to me, right, he would have said to me, go back and, and tell them I am sent you. I would have been the person that said, you am who, Lord? I want to know it all. But we don't have to have all the information. We don't have to understand it completely to obey immediately. And she gave us two prayers in that message. If you missed it, you want to go back and check it out. I'm just recapping briefly for you. She gave us two prayers in that message. The first prayer was this, Lord, help me to obey you even when I don't understand. If you want to know about trusting God and what it looks like to begin to trust with God, it starts with small prayers. It starts with simple prayers. And that first prayer is, Lord, help me to obey you even when I don't understand. Man, that is so much easier said than done. It is so much easier to encourage somebody else to do that than apply it to yourself. Let me just tell you, it is always, always, always easier to sit across from somebody at a table and tell them what they need to do. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Let me tell you what you need to do. But when it comes back to you, man, isn't that a much harder thing? Right? So she said, prayer one, Lord, help me to obey even when I don't understand. Because we don't have to understand completely to obey immediately. And then prayer two, the second prayer that she said, 
She said, this is the other prayer you can pray. Lord, help me to surrender when I cannot control or help me to surrender what I cannot control. Well, that's kind of funny, right? Because she told us last week that control is an illusion. That nobody really walks around with any kind of real control. There's always going to be certain things outside of your realm, outside of your control. We say, well, I picked the clothes I put on today. Yes, but you didn't control the person who made your clothes. And if they had decided not to make their clothes, you wouldn't have had those clothes. You don't control a lot of things. Lord, help me to surrender what I cannot control. Control is an illusion. We don't always have to have the power to control. But we do always have the power to surrender. That right there. That right there. We don't always have the power to control, but we do have the power to surrender. And this week, we're going to be talking about some, some kind of some meat and potatoes. You don't mind if I teach a little bit tonight. Do you mind if I teach a little bit? I don't mind preaching. I can preach, but I like teaching too, right? And so we're going to teach a little bit tonight. We're going to talk about the importance of of, of fixing our eyes. If we're going to trust God, it comes down to fixing our eyes. Fixing our eyes. We're, uh, you know, I have three kids. They're all here tonight, too. I have three kids. And my kids are are incredible at focus. Now, I know what you're thinking. I thought you said, well, kids don't really focus all that. Well, no, no, kids focus very, very well on the things they want to focus on. And, and my wife and I, we could can, we can be asking our kids to do something, and they'll be planted on the couch five feet away from us, and we can be calling their names, and they don't hear anything but what's on the TV in that moment. We can give them entire instructions on what we ask them to do, and we say to them, did you hear what we said? And they'll look at us and go, no. Five feet away. So you say, well, they don't pay attention. They don't. They can't focus. No, no, they're really good at focusing. As a matter of fact, we're all really good at focusing. I'm really good at focusing, right? Because I can be focused on my work, working on my computer, doing stuff for, for church or doing stuff for the other company that I work for. I can be focused on that. And my kids have learned that when daddy is focused, they can ask him anything and almost always get a yes without daddy realizing what he just co-signed. And then when mom comes home, And she says, what do you mean you were promised to get ice cream Sundays and stay up until 12 o'clock tonight? It's because daddy said so. Was daddy focused on work? Yes. That's why we asked. I'm really good at that. You're really good at that. Ask your spouse if you're married. Ask your spouse. They'll tell you. I'm really good at focusing on things that I really want to focus on. We've all done this. And as frustrating as it is at times, it's a transferable principle when it comes to trusting God, being able to fix our focus, being able to fix our focus. If we want to be able to say, Lord, I I don't understand, but I'm going to obey, we have to fix our eyes. And if we want to be able to surrender completely and release our false control, we have to fix our eyes. But fix our eyes where? On Jesus. Come on, church. I know you're quiet in there. Give me an amen real quick, church. Okay, okay, it's good. All right. Where do you fix your eyes at? Go to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I want you to see this. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And this is what it says. It says, therefore, do me a favor. We're going to come back to this, but do me a favor and say, therefore. Therefore. All together, say, therefore. 
Right. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God set before us. I don't know about you, but don't you wish sometimes they had just said, let us speed walk with endurance the race that the Lord has set before us. I don't like running, y'all. But it says, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Verse 2, watch this. And we do this by what? Keeping our eyes on Jesus. Do you know that there are things that we have in our lives that would be considered weights? They would be considered things that slow us down. Maybe not necessarily bad things. A lot of good intention things can be weights that slow us down. And then it says that there's sin that so easily ensnares us, so easily trips us up. Have you ever tripped over your own shoestrings? It's very easy to do, isn't it? And he says, and then you run this race that God marked out for you by doing this. This is how you do it. Well, how do you, how do you get rid of the weights that slow you down? How do you, get, how do you bypass the sin that so, so easily ensnares you? How do you run the race? It says by keeping our eyes on Jesus. One translation says by fixing our eyes on Jesus. And why is this so important, church? Look what it says. It says he is the champion who what? Initiates and what? Perfects our faith. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus because he's the one who initiates and he perfects. He's the one who begins our faith and he is the one who finishes our faith. That our faith is made complete when our eyes are fixed on Jesus. Faith is not your ability to muster up enough spiritual strength to make something happen on your behalf. Did you catch that? Faith does not have anything to do with your ability to muster up something spiritually to make something happen on your behalf. Faith has nothing to do with you saying all the right things over and over and over and over and over again. Faith has everything to do with fixing our eyes on Jesus. Because when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, our faith begins. When our eyes are fixed on Jesus, our faith comes to an end. When our eyes are fixed on Jesus, it is made complete. Jesus is the bridge for our faith. Do you know? You can go back over to Romans chapter 10, verse 17. It's not in the slides. I didn't give it to you. So <laughs> Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith comes by what, church? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. We had that so mistaught in church. We, 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 we had it so mistaught. It's been formulated. It's been made into a formula. If you want more faith, you got to hear the word of God more. You want more faith? Hear the word of God. You want more faith? Hear the word of God. But, but it's not just saying hear the word of God. It says, so then faith comes by hearing. And the real translation that is hearing the message of Christ. You see, faith comes by hearing and hearing the message of Jesus Christ. How do I get more faith in my life for healing? You hear the message of Jesus Christ. How do I get more faith for joy? I hear about joy who is found in Christ. How do I get more faith in regards to forgive? I hear about the forgiveness of God that is in Jesus Christ. I'm getting ahead of myself. Faith. Jesus, he says he's the initiator and the finisher, the initiator and the finisher of our faith. There's so much to unpack here, but 
Well, let me just start with this. It's simply this. It's, it's Jesus is at the center of it all. It's not complex. Good theology is not figuring out how many Hebrew words and Greek words and Aramaic words you can memorize. Good theology is not found in how many doctrines you can quote and unpack and exegete. That's a fancy word for unpacking. Good theology is not found in doctoral, doctoral degrees. And if you have a doctoral degree, great, praise God. But it's not found in your degree. Good theology is found and wrapped up and summed up in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is perfect theology. Because if you really want to know who God is like, you look at who? Jesus. Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus is at the center of it all. Our wise statement for Journey Church is simply, it simply says this. It says that we are connecting people to Jesus to experience life. That life in its fullness is lived with Jesus at the center. We talked about this earlier in the year. You can go back and check the archives out and the messages that we did. Uh, Jesus uh, is the center of life. Fullness of life is found in Christ. And it is the center of a full, and if the center of the full life is Jesus, then the center of full theology is Jesus. Then the center of a, 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 a full gospel is Jesus. Then the center of trusting God is who? Come on, church, I'm giving you the answers. It's Jesus. And then the center of our faith is who? Always. It's always. As a matter of fact, True biblical faith cannot exist without Jesus. If you go back to that verse in Romans 10, 17, write it down. Go back there. Study this out. Look at it. It says that, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing the message of Jesus Christ. And you know the writer of, of, of Romans goes on to say, and how can they hear unless someone is sent? How can they hear unless someone's sent? How do we get faith to even believe God for the miraculous, for, the, for our salvation, for those things, it's, it's by hearing the message of Christ. Hebrews chapter 11, the very beginning of it, the very first verse, it defines faith in this way. It says, what is faith? This is the living Bible. Well, what is faith? It says, it is the confident assurance that something we want is going to happen, and it is certainly uh, and it is the certainty that what we hope for is waiting for us, even though we can't see it up ahead. Another translation says, so then faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. But it's not only it's not just focused on things. It's focused on the person. Even the Old Testament prophets, do you know, this is incredible, the Old Testament, we're going to go through this in just a second, but, but all the Old Testament patriarchs and the prophets, do you know that when they walked in faith, they walked in faith that was connected to a Jesus they had not yet seen? Do you know that they walked in faith on a glimpse of the Messiah in some form or some fashion? In Hebrews chapter 11, it's the faith chapter. It's often taught as the heroes of faith because the writer of Hebrews, he or she, whoever it was that wrote it, goes out and he begins to unpack all these people that we've heard about. If you grew up in church and Bible school or, or Sunday school, if, if not, you've studied, you've read it. But he goes down and unpacks this as it goes further. It says, it says he talks about Abel, who was the son of, of Adam and Eve, right? You remember that story? Come on, somebody. 
right? So it talks about Abel. And it says Abel, uh, he found favor in the sacrifice he offered God. Cain's sacrifice wasn't offered the way Abel's was offered. Abel found favor in the sacrifice he offered to God. He found favor. It was, it was his faith. And Enoch, there was a guy named Enoch who, who found intimacy with God in such a way that the Bible says he was no more. Everybody wants to speculate. What does that mean that he was no more? I'm going to get deep with you real quick. You ready? It means he was no more. What does that mean? Was he transcended? Did he just vanish? Did he go into another dimension? I don't. He was no more. That he walked in such intimacy with God that he lost track of what earth was like and what heaven was like, and he just was no more. Noah built a boat before it ever rained. Abraham trusted God to leave his homeland and, and family to go find a place he did not know where he was going. Sarah, who while being too old to have kids, had kids. Joseph prophesied about Israel's deliverance from Egypt. Moses commanded Israel concerning a Passover lamb, spreading its blood over the doors of their houses so that the angel of death would pass over them. The people of Israel, the Bible says, the writer of Hebrews said, the people of Israel trusted God and walked through the, the sea on dry, dry ground. Remember that, moment, that movement in the Ten Commandments? It parted the sea. You remember that? Israel trusted God, and he walked through the sea on the dry ground. And then he goes on to say, and then Israel later on, they would shout, and the walls of Jericho fell, right? And then this woman named Rahab, who was a prostitute, who was not an Israelite, she didn't die when everybody else in her city died because she showed friendship to the Israelites. Now, this is, I hope this hits you like it hit me today. Because it hit me a day, and I was like, oh, I've never seen that before. But if it doesn't hit you like it hit me, just smile and nod your head, and we'll move on. Remember, Jesus is the author and the what? Finisher of our faith. So, the writer of Hebrews highlights the faith of these patriarchs, these prophets. And you can go back and you can see the Jesus that their faith was connected to. Watch. Jesus was the sacrifice Abel offered and found favor with God with, right? Uh, Jesus was the intimacy that Enoch enjoyed with God because no one knows the Father but the Son and no one knows the Son but the what, church? Father, right? And, and so Jesus was the ark of salvation that Noah and his family got into. And Jesus was Abraham's destination. He said, I am the what church? The, the what church? I just taught on it, right? I am the way. I am the journey. So Jesus was the destination of Abraham. And Jesus was the promised child of Sarah. And Jesus was the wisdom of Joseph. The Bible says Christ has been made wisdom for us, right? And Jesus was the Passover lamb that Moses commanded them to, to, to spread the blood over. And Jesus was the dry, dry ground in the sea. And Jesus was the shout of Israel that brought down the walls of Jericho. He was the shout. Guys, listen, it's the same name that will at some point in the future bring every knee down. Because at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess and every knee will what, church? Bow. And Jesus was the center of friendship of Rahab. 
they didn't know exactly what it was. But Jesus, even back then, was the beginning and the finisher of their faith. Abraham said so he looked forward to the, de- to, the, to the city whose builder was God. He, he, you know, Moses said he counted all the stuff he had in Egypt. Go back and read Hebrews 11. It's amazing. He said he counted all the riches he had in Egypt, all the luxury he had in Egypt. He counted that all as nothing in comparison to the Messiah who would one day come. It gave him the faith to leave. Someone might say, well, I think you're, you're stretching that a little bit. I think you're stretching that a little bit. And I would say, I don't think I am. I think I'm echoing exactly what the writer of Hebrews was communicating. Because he spends that entire chapter highlighting their faith and pointing them to Christ. He ends Hebrews 11 verse 40. Watch this. He ends in Hebrews 11 verse 40. It says, God, having provided something better for us that they should not uh, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. He ends that whole Heroes of Faith chapter, and he goes into Hebrews chapter 12. And what's the first word? What was that? The first word is therefore. The first word is therefore. And so if you only read verses 1, 2, and 3, you miss out on the significance of Christ being every bit of our faith that we need. You miss out on all of it because the writer of Hebrews felt it so important to fill an entire chapter of people who trusted Christ they had not even seen to build the case for us now that says the same thing. You see, if you want to you throw off the weight that slows you down, like these mighty men and women that we read about in the Bible, then you fix your eyes on Jesus. If you want to throw off the sin that so easily ensnares you, like some of these mighty men and women dealt with in the Bible, then you fix your eyes on Jesus. And if you want to continue to run the race that God has marked out just like they ran their race, then you fix your eyes on who, church? Jesus. You fix your eyes on Jesus who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Whatever you give your attention to, hear me, whatever you give your attention to will grow in your life. Whatever you give your attention to will grow in your life. If you you probably recognize, you probably saw that, right? You probably saw that when you were, when, when the elections were ramping up, man, in election week and how many people sat around and they, they, don't raise your hand, how many people sat around and you watched hours of election footage? You were waiting for every last vote to come in so you can celebrate your president-elect getting, getting voted in or whoever the person was you were voting. Some of us, we sat around forever. You know how I know that? Because I talked to you. And do you know that what you give yourself attention to grows. It becomes consuming. It becomes the only thing that we can see. It becomes the only thing that we can see. And so if we want to know about trusting God. If we want to know what it looks like to start trusting God, we, we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. 
That phrase, keeping our eyes on Jesus or fixing our eyes on Jesus means to simply turn our eyes away from other things and fix them on something. It carries with it a picture of, of blinders. Have you ever seen a horse and carriage? Anybody ever seen a horse and carriage? You ever know? Like they had, I lived in San Antonio for a while and they had these downtown San Antonio on the Riverwalk. They had these horses and carriage and they were beautiful. Never rode one, but they were beautiful. But you know what I noticed? Always the, the horses, they always had these blinders on their eyes. And do you know why? So they can focus only on what is in front of them. Because if they were able to see everything, they would get spooked or they would lose their attention or they would go in the direction they would want to go in. So they fixed blinders on these horses' eyes so that these horses can stay focused on exactly what is in front of them. And that is what this picture is carrying. Let us fix our eyes. Let us set on our face blinders that keeps our focus ahead. And who is ahead of us but Jesus? Matthew chapter 14. I'm going to fly through this right quick. Matthew chapter 15, I'm sorry, 14, and it's verses 22 through 33. Jesus, he, he, he goes and he's doing ministry and he, he has this moment. He's on this mountain. He's talking and preaching the gospel and there's 5,000 people there. There's 5,000 men there actually, not counting women and children. They didn't count the women and children. That was really sexist, don't you think? But there's 5,000 men there and those Men, the Bible says that, that they were fed with 12 loaves and two fish, right? And it's, they, they fed them all. And so when they got done feeding all of the people who were there, Jesus tells the disciples it's time to do ministry on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They would cross the Sea of Galilee often to do ministry. And he says, so get back into the boat and go across the Sea of Galilee. Well, while the disciples were in the Sea of Galilee and they were rowing back to the other side, the Bible says it was about the third hour of the watch or fourth hour of the uh, fourth watch, which is about 3 to 6 a.m. And 3 to 6 a.m., that's the darkest time of the day. And it says that between 3 and 6 a.m., they're rowing. And the waves are, are, are going crazy. And in this area of the Sea of Galilee, at, the way the mountain structures are at around the sea, they could, they could, there could be storms that just come up within, within an instant. You just didn't see them coming. They would come up in an instant. And the winds would come blowing down the, the mountains, and they would blow against the sea. And, and they would rock these boats back and forth. Now, now, at least you think this is a small sea. It's not a small sea. Actually, it's almost as big as Newport News, the sea. It's a 13-mile-long uh, a sea. It's eight miles wide. So it's, it's three more miles wider than the James River, right? And 13 miles long. And, and at its deepest points, 141 feet deep. How many of you, that's not a tiny place, right? And so 3 a.m., they're rowing, the wind's blowing. It's the darkest part of the night. And they're doing exactly what it is that Jesus has asked them to do. I find this very, uh, very important because a lot of times we, we have this misconception that if we're following Jesus Christ, everything in life goes smoothly. Right? If we're following Jesus Christ, then the waters are still. After all, he, he, he causes me to lie down beside still waters. Right? So everything should be still waters. But you know the disciples got in the boat that Jesus told them to get into. And to go into the sea that Jesus told them to go into, they were following what Jesus had asked them to do, and yet they came across the storm, and the storm was rocking. Now listen to me, church. Jesus didn't cause the storm, but Jesus knew the storm was going to be there. They're rocking back and forth. They're rowing. They're battling the waves. The water's crashing over the boats. And in Matthew's account, this is interesting. In Matthew's account, they're not scared. 
It doesn't say anything about them becoming fearful. And I would say it's probably because these guys, most of them were fishermen. Most of them made their living fishing on the very same sea that they were rowing against. It might have been a rough day, but nothing that they haven't seen before. By the way, these waves at the Sea of Galilee, they can get up to like 10 feet tall. Do you know that? Those are bigger than the, the waves in Virginia Beach. But it doesn't say that they were scared. This is crazy. I just thought this was just interesting. It didn't say that they were scared. They're rowing. They're, they're having a hard time, and they're doing all this. But, but then what happens? In verse 26, it says, And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, so they're rowing, and all of a sudden they see Jesus walking. We don't think it's Jesus. They think it's a ghost. Right? It says, and when the disciples saw him on the water, they were terrified, and in fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. They weren't crying out of the 10-foot waves that were rocking the boat back and forth in the wind in the darkest part of the day. They were terrified because they saw something that was abnormal, and that abnormal thing was Jesus walking in the midst of their storm. And it says in verse 27, it says, but Jesus spoke to them at once. He said, don't be, what church? Afraid. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. He issued a command, which was, don't be afraid. But he didn't issue a command of, don't be afraid, and that's it. Who does that? Could you imagine? Sometimes my kids get scared at night. Sometimes they have a hard time going to sleep. Sometimes I think they're just playing me. But sometimes... They have a hard time going to sleep. And they'll say something like, well, I'm scared. And we would say to them, well, you don't have anything to be scared of because, and we laid out the, the why behind it. Because Jesus is protecting you. Because God is with you, never leaves you nor forsakes you. We have a, a reason behind. How callous would it be for me to just look at my six-year-old daughter and say, you have nothing to be scared of. Go to bed. Jesus didn't just say, don't be afraid, but he followed it up with the why you shouldn't be afraid. And this is what he said. Don't be afraid. He said, I am here. Do me a favor, church. Say, I am here. here. One more time. Say, I am here. here. That's what he said. I am here. And that that seems like, well, okay, well, Jesus just is announcing his arrival, but there's so much more than that. He's not just saying, ta-da, I am here. He said, I am here. I am here. You see, you don't have to be afraid, Moses. I'm telling you to go deliver Israel and and deliver them from Pharaoh. Well, who in the world do I tell them sent me? He said to them, tell them, I am sent you. They're freaked out on this sea. And Jesus said, don't be afraid, I am here. Do you know what he told Joshua when Joshua was getting ready to go into the promised land? And they're they're freaking out and saying, man, there are giants in the land. He said, Joshua, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed, don't fear, don't fear. I am with you. I am with you. Jesus said the same thing. He said, I am with you always. And even to the end of the world. He didn't just say don't be afraid, but he gave them the why behind it. Don't be scared because I am with you. Don't be scared alone places the responsibility on us. And we have to figure out how to trust God in our own strength. 
But trusting God is never in our own strength. Trusting God is never in our own strength. My trust is not in the directions, but the one who is directing. Do you hear me, church? It's not in the directions, but the one who is directing. I don't have to understand completely in order to obey immediately. As the writer of Hebrews says, keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. The I am statement here, it's the same phrase that Moses heard and Joshua heard. I am. Tell them I am sent you. I am everything you need. I am everything you need. I am your joy. I am your healing. I am your peace. I am your provision. I am your security. I am your strength. I am your miracle. I am your grace. I am your forgiveness. I am your restoration. I am your reconciliation. I am your mended heart. I am your freedom. I am the center of your life, whether you like it or not. I believe it was this I am moment that quickened Peter's faith to do exactly what everybody else in the boat deemed impossible. Matthew 14, verses 28 and 29 says, And then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. In verse 29, Jesus said this. He said, yes, come. And so Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. Do you know what was still happening in this moment? The storm. Do you know what was still going on when Jesus and Peter locked eyes, Peter's eyes fixed on Jesus? Do you know what was still happening? He wasn't standing perfectly still. The boat was still rocking. The waves were still smashing. The wind was still blowing. And the only thing he can focus on was, how do I get to you? Tell me to come out on the water with you. He does something that nobody else in the boat does. We might even look at Peter and go, well, man, that was, that was opportunistic, wasn't it? But what if, the, what if it was a shift in our thinking? What if it was a shift in our paradigm? What if, what if Peter realized that the safest place to be on the water with the waves and the wind was right there where Jesus was at? So he says, come. Peter didn't say, Okay, but first tell me, how in the world is this going to work? Never done this before. Tell me, are you going to displace my weight in a certain way that I become buoyant and I can, I don't understand what's going He didn't say any of that. He literally said, if, if it's you, tell me to come to you and I'll come to you. My eyes are fixed on you. And Jesus said, it is I come. The very words of Christ got Peter out of the boat, and it's the very same words of Christ that kept Peter afloat all the way to him. Now, this whole story gets hijacked because all of a sudden we want to take our attention and focus on the fact that Peter failed, right? Because what happens, the Bible says, right after that? It says the wind started blowing, and, and the wind was blowing, and he saw the waves, and he saw all of this stuff, all the stuff that was still going on, the moment he asked him, the moment he stepped over the boat, the moment he walked to, all that was still going on. But what took place? What happened? It says, and then he saw. It means his attention was redirected. His eyes were off of Jesus, who is the initiator, the initiator, 
Tell, if it's you, tell me to come out on the boats, the initiator of his faith. And then Jesus said, it is I, come on out, the finisher of his faith. And he's walking out. But the moment my eyes are off of Christ, my faith is incomplete. And the Bible says he began to sink. And he calls out for Jesus. He says, save me. And Jesus said, should have kept your eyes fixed on me. That's not what he said, is it? Some of you are like, yo, Jesus was harsh. That's not what he said. He said, he said, save me. And the Bible says immediately, immediately, immediately he reached down and he grabbed Peter and pulled him up. They walked back over to the boat. They got in the boat and everything stopped. Everything ceased. What we give our attention to will grow. What we give our attention to will grow. Every one of us, we have something or some things in our lives that will steal our attention. We say, well, we're struggling to trust God in a particular area of your life. What is before your, what is before your eyes? What are you fixing your eyes on? What are you fixing your eyes on? The waves were always there. The wind was always there. Do you know the very things I struggle to believe God for in my life? And every, listen, in every season of my life, as long as I've been a follower of Jesus Christ, you know that it's not something new that I struggle to believe God for? Did you know that? It's something I've struggled to believe God for all along. It just takes on a different form, but it's always been there. Some of us, we struggle to trust the Lord with our finances. We struggle with that. But that wasn't something new. The struggle has always been there. We, we struggle to trust the Lord for wholeness or for healing. That struggle was there. It was there. Sometimes it might not show up. Sometimes it might even look like it's gone forever. And it, I do, would dare say, it would be because of where our focus, our attention has been given. But it just takes that one moment, right? When you have to stay home for 14 days because of COVID and you're an hourly worker, and all of a sudden you're starting to think, man, how am I going to pay my bills? There are all sorts of things to pull your attention off of. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, he initiates and he finishes our faith. we want to get to a place where we're trusting God, let's fix our eyes on Christ. So where would you start at? I'm going I'm to issue a challenge for every one of us. It's not a hard challenge. Some of us have a lot going on. Some of us, not so much. But it's a challenge nonetheless. I want you to focus on a set of scriptures this week. In the morning, read them when you wake up. Instead of, instead of jumping on Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat or Twitter or whatever it is that you grab and jump onto, I'm guilty of it. Before jumping on that, let this be the first thing you read in the morning. When you go to sleep, as the last thing that you're doing before you go to bed, let this be the last thing you're reading before you go to bed. And it's this set of scriptures right here. In Romans chapter 8, 
verses 31 through 39. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for all of us, won't he also give, give us everything what else? Verse 33 says, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? You have been chosen by God. It says, no one for God himself. Listen to me, church. Listen to what it says. No one for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Do you know that your right standing with God is independent upon your ability? That God initiates your faith and he finishes your faith? For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Verse 34, who then will condemn us? Who can point out all of our flaws and the things that make us unrighteous, not worthy of God? It says no one for Jesus Christ died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Verse 35, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer look? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity, or is persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day; we are being slaughtered like sheep. Verse thirty-seven. No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Watch verse thirty-eight. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Instead, nothing in all of, or indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the beginning, and this is the end of our faith. So that's the challenge for you this week. I'll post it on the, the, the church page, the Facebook page, Instagram page. That's your challenge. Every morning, read it. Every night before you go to bed, Read it and allow yourself to fix your eyes on the God who is not mad at you, but absolutely madly in love with you. Do me a favor, would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second? I'm going to pray for everybody right now. Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy. Father, I know there are people struggling right now, Lord. There are people struggling in our families and our jobs and our and in just our neighborhoods, Father, and I just pray right now that there would be an encouragement to all of us. Father, that you would use us to be an encouragement to others, and that, Father, during this time, God, that we would just fix our eyes on your love for us. Father, I just pray right now for every person who's in earshot of this message, who's watching online, who's in this house right now. Father, I pray for peace over them right now in the name of Jesus, whatever it is that they're struggling to trust you with, Lord whether that's healing or joy or peace or finances, whatever it is, Lord, 
that as we go through this week, God, that we would be more assured of your faithfulness, your goodness, your grace, your mercy, that you would initiate the future. Father, we thank you. We love you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen, amen. amen.